We will be in Habakkuk this morning. Habakkuk, we will be in chapters 1 through 3. Again, my name is Chris. I'm one of the elders at Grace Life Baptist right down the street here off of Huffmeister. Um, Enjoy getting to serve the Lord there and enjoy when we get to gather together and worship. Uh, Joel, uh, our lead pastor there, and myself have been blessed by Kyle as we get to gather together for fellowships with other pastors as well. Um, And I'm encouraged when other churches pray for other churches as we get to do for you and hear you praying for other churches as well. We get to see the kingdom of God going forward together. Before we jump into the book of Habakkuk this morning, I'd like to give us a little bit of an introduction to Habakkuk. We don't know much about the prophet himself. We do know a little bit about his setting. And what we're going to get some eyes into is a very real conversation with God. And that's going to be the title of our message this morning is A Real Conversation with God. I'm a big fan of the minor prophets. They're called minor not because of their unimportance, but because of their size. But they're often overlooked because of that. However, there is great value and there's great power walking through these. In Habakkuk, we're going to see a conversation between God and Habakkuk and the various situations that he finds himself in. Habakkuk is staring down the conquering of the Chaldeans coming to take over Israel, the rise of their power, and it causes Habakkuk to question. Habakkuk asks some great questions of who God is, of what he's doing. And sometimes when these questions are asked, God doesn't always give answers. But here in this conversation with Habakkuk, he does. So today we're going to see the questions that Habakkuk asks, also the ones that we do, the answers that God gives, and the praise that results. This morning, the theme for our text is God's mysterious providence displays his glory and leads us to deeper worship. God's mysterious providence displays his glory and leads us to deeper worship. The first question that we run into with Habakkuk, as he's staring out and he's seeing an evil nation rising in power and seemingly rising in blessing, while Israel continues to suffer, is God, where are you? God, where are you? And his first accusation against God that fuels this question is found in verse number two of chapter one. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? It seems to Habakkuk that his prayers are going unanswered. The same from our text this morning in Lamentations as Jeremiah cries out, It seems to him that his prayers rise to the heavens but are being shut out. Brother and sister, have you ever been in a situation like this where you have walked in pain and in darkness and feel that your cries and complaints to God fall on deaf ears? That you know the promises of God's goodness, but it's difficult to see them. Just as Habakkuk looked out and saw nothing but violence, nothing but sin, and wondered where the saving hand of God was. The second question, the second reason that fuels Habakkuk's question is in verses 3 and 4. The same one, God, where are you? 
Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, and justice goes forth perverted. God, not only does it seem like my prayers are failing, but it seems like your justice is failing. God, I look around and the promises that you've made, the goodness that you proclaim to be, I don't see it. When you allow these things to happen, it looks like your word is failing. It looks like justice is failing. God, it looks like you're failing. Habakkuk is laying some serious accusations at the feet of God. Where are you? You promised to be with your people. You promised that you would be our God. You promised that you would be our Savior. Everything I'm seeing right now says the opposite. God, where are you? The second question that Habakkuk asks is, God, how could you? How could you? Habakkuk's next complaint comes after God answers, but we're going to continue on with his questions. God, how could you? In verses 12 through 13, Habakkuk notices that God is using the wicked. God responds to Habakkuk's first complaint and says that he's going to use the Chaldeans, that he's going to use the wicked nations. And he sees this happening on a national scale. Sometimes we can see this in our own personal lives. God, how can you be using these people around me? The people that I work with? These people that I thought were my friends? My husband, my wife? These evil individuals? These sinners? How can you be using them in their sin and in their brokenness to still be displaying your goodness? to still be bringing glory to yourself. God, how could you use the wicked? God, how could you let the wicked thrive? Habakkuk continues his complaint from verses 14 down to the beginning of verse 2. And what he lays out is that the Chaldeans are worshiping the God of the sea. They're sacrificing to their nets. They're displaying glory to a false idol. And God, you are letting them think that this is the right way because they're being victorious. They're growing in their power. God, how can you let them thrive? In the world we walk today, the world claims to have the corner on what love actually is. That love is tolerance. Love is caring for all in these lavish ways that anyone can be or do anything they want to be. And as believers, we know where love is founded and where love is rooted. It's in God and Christ's sacrifice. But how can we look out at the world, walking in such evil and twisted displays of what love actually is. And they're the ones gaining favor. They're the ones gaining influence. They're the ones that are succeeding 
in relationships, succeeding in various ways. God, how can you be letting the wicked thrive? First century Christians, there was a claim that was made against them, and we're actually going to participate in this today. In celebrating the Lord's Supper, there was a claim made against the church that they were cannibals because they were partaking in the flesh and blood and did this as a celebration. They were also levied as being incestuous, that they were intermarrying with one another because we endearingly refer to one another as brother and sister. These claims laid against the first century church, twisting who they were, twisting the idea of what love is, when walking in obedience, God was still allowing the world around them to thrive. Habakkuk asked these questions of God. God, where are you? My prayers are going unanswered. You are using the wicked. God, how could you let them thrive? With these questions that Habakkuk asks, God is under no obligation to answer. But in his kindness, he does. He gives Habakkuk an answer, and he gives him an answer that he's not expecting and that he may not even want. The first answer that God gives is in Habakkuk 1, verse 5. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astonished. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. God's first response to Habakkuk is everything that you're looking at, everything that you're questioning, everything that is causing you to wonder and to fear, that's still my work. I am still the one sovereignly working amongst the nations. And I don't owe you an explanation. The work that I'm doing, you wouldn't even understand if I told you. I find that declaration from God, one, humbling, but also humorous. Because in the verses to come, God does explain the work that he's doing. And it's not at all what Habakkuk would have expected. God's work among the nations is beyond imagination. Sometimes as Christians, we can get so focused on what God is doing in my life. God, what is your hand in my life? That we forget to broaden our perspective and see what God's work is on a global scale. As Christians, now we get the opportunity to see this in great ways. We get to hear reports of God's work in places that we never would have imagined. This past uh, October, I got the opportunity to go to Central Asia and be in a country that's 99% Muslim. And there, I expected to find very few Christians, which was the reality, and because of that, to see a certain amount of unhealth within the Christian churches that were there, because they're constantly under oppression. What I see is I see pastors being trained, I see deacons being developed, I see concerted efforts for the gospel to go out with clarity, theological training amongst the men and women there, and yet we can look out and we can be so discouraged as we see the sin of the world, as we see the rise of false gospels. But we know that though hell rage against the gates, God's kingdom is still going to go forward with power. As we look out amongst the nations, we are called to wonder and be amazed 
at the work that God is doing. God continues his work amongst the nations. The first answer that God gives is that his reign knows no bounds. Habakkuk was looking at his own life. He was looking at the life of the Israelites. But what he forgot is that God is the God of the nations. That he continues his work even beyond the bounds of Israel. That he continues his work beyond the bounds of his people, beyond geographic boundaries. God is continuing to work. His sovereign hand continues to reign as his love continues to remain upon his people. The second answer that God gives is, my work is coming, but you need to wait. Habakkuk 2, beginning in verse 2, we read, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on the tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. God responds to Habakkuk saying, my work is coming. Wait. He gives Habakkuk an answer that's frustrating, particularly in times when we are wondering where God is doing, or where God is and what he's doing. And he tells Habakkuk, wait. Keep waiting. Keep waiting, Habakkuk. My work will come in its time. It won't be late. It won't be early. It's coming. The answer that he gives to Habakkuk at the end of verse 4 can often be the most frustrating. Because in these times when we want to know that God is hearing our prayers, when we want to know that God is near, sometimes we expect an exception to the Christian life. We accept an exception from what the norm is. God, can you just speak to me and let me know that you hear me? Could the Holy Spirit come and just, can we talk about this? God, could you give me a call, shoot me a text? Just let me know that everything's going to be okay. But that's not what happens. What God tells Habakkuk is what he tells us. Things haven't changed. Walk by faith. Walk by faith, Habakkuk. Right now, he's being led astray by his eyes. He's looking out amongst the nations and he's seeing the terrors that are there. Habakkuk, go back to faith. Go back to trusting in me. Go back to faith. This is a really difficult combination, isn't it? Habakkuk feels like his prayers aren't being answered. And what God tells him is wait and have faith. Isn't that often the hardest time? For us to walk in faith while we wait. To walk in faith when there seems to be silence. But brother and sister, isn't that when faith is exercised the most? It wouldn't be faith if it was easy. 
We continue to trust in God when things aren't making sense. When our senses are lying to us. This is the call that Habakkuk receives from the Lord to the questions he asks. God, where are you? God, how could you? Habakkuk, wait. Have faith. Habakkuk's real question hasn't quite been answered yet, and God still doesn't owe him an explanation. God points him back to himself. I am doing this work that you will not understand. Wait for me and trust in me. But God in his kindness continues to explain his work to Habakkuk. God's third answer is that my justice will not be stopped. As God walks through the rest of Habakkuk chapter 2, he lays out the evil work of the Chaldeans, how they will continue to go forward and slaughter. They will go forward and show injustice to all, that they will murder, that they will intoxicate, that they will continue in their wickedness and in their sin. And God is not turning a blind eye to this. His justice and judgment is coming. God's work is coming just in his salvation as in his justice. And the glory of God will be on display for all. Habakkuk 2 and verse 14. We'll pick up in verse number 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire, and the nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk, you're looking out right now and you're seeing the rise of the Chaldeans, and you're seeing the rise of their evil, that that's all you can see? Habakkuk, that's not going to be the end of the story. The end of the story is going to be my glory is going to cover the face of the earth as the waters do. Habakkuk, my glory is coming. My glory will be known to all. This is a, an extension of what God first answers to Habakkuk, that as you look out amongst the nations and wonder... And be astonished at the work that I am doing. What is that going to result in? My glory. Covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk asks some hard questions. God, where are you? And how could you? God responds. My reign knows no bounds. My work is coming. Wait. And my justice will not be stopped. These are difficult answers for Habakkuk. That God is going to use the Chaldeans and that he needs to wait and walk in faith. But even though Habakkuk doesn't like it, it may not be the answer he desired. Habakkuk responds in worship. So when we ask these questions and we hear God's answer, what are our response to be? Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. 
In the midst of years, revive it. In the midst of years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk hears the declaration from the Lord, and he begins to pray. He begins to pray as he had in chapter 1 twice, but his prayer is different now. His prayer is one acknowledging what he knows and what he has heard. Because before, Habakkuk's prayer was soaked in what he saw. It was driven by what he felt. But now it's in the truth of what God has revealed, of what God has reminded him of. We pray and we acknowledge what we know. Habakkuk prays for mercy. He knows God's great judgment and justice that is coming on the Chaldeans. And even though Habakkuk, an Israelite, one of the chosen nation that God is working in and through, Habakkuk still prays for mercy, knowing that God's justice rises against the Chaldeans for their wickedness. Habakkuk praises God for his greatness and for his salvation. Habakkuk 3, verse 13. Lord, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Habakkuk wonders what God's doing and wonders if he hears his prayer. And he's reminded of God's saving work and goes back to walking in faith. Habakkuk doesn't just pray, but he sings as well. Beginning in verse 17, we see why Habakkuk sings. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's and makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk praises the Lord in spite of the circumstances. He doesn't just praise God when things are good. But when the fruit fails, when there's no sheep or livestock in the stalls, when everything has gone wrong, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though the Lord slay him, though he bring his heavy hand upon him, he will continue to praise him. He will take joy in the God of his salvation. Because even in the heaviness and the darkness, God is still his savior. And God is still his strength. Brother and sister, we witness a reversal here in the book of Habakkuk. One that's important for us to know and to be cautious of. 
Habakkuk is viewing God in chapters one, in chapter one, through his circumstances. He looks at his circumstances and he sees God and wonders, God, how can you be who you say you are? And how can you do what you've promised to do when this is what I see? And Habakkuk lays his heavy questions at the feet of God. What we see changing from the answers that God gives and from now the praise that Habakkuk sings, from the prayer he now lays before God, is Habakkuk has rightfully changed his perspective. He now views his circumstances through who God is. We need to be careful who we are putting on the judgment seat. That are we putting God on the judgment seat because of what we see, or are we trying to reason what we are seeing through who we know God to be? The question is not, God, how can you be good and these things be happening? The question ought to be, God, you are good. How can I continue to see that in spite of what is happening? A great place that we see this is in the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The apostles recognize this in Acts chapter 2, where they see that all along this is God's sovereign plan to send and sacrifice his son when it looks like everything is out of control. There could not have been a darker scene that God had sent his son proclaiming truth, walking sinless, pointing all to the Father. And he's betrayed. He's lied about. He's killed. If there was ever a time where things didn't seem like they went according to plan, this was it. But in Acts 2, in the proclamation of Jesus Christ, we hear that this is all according to God's plan. It was his plan that his son would be betrayed and killed on our behalf. And this is not a declaration of God not being able to control what's going on. This is a display of his ultimate goodness, of his ultimate love. This is not a reason for us to question God's goodness. As believers, we know this. And if we can see this in the greatest display of God's glory, in the sacrifice and resurrection of his son, we can trust him with our hearts day after day. We can trust him with the steps that we walk this next day, this next week, this next year. No matter how dark the darkness grows, no matter how high the waves may rise, it's never out of God's hands. No matter how silent it seems to be when you pray, no matter how evil the world around you, God's work may continue to be mysterious, but God does not stop being God. He continues to be who he always said he would. And God's mysterious providence displays his glory, and we are led to deeper worship. Let us pray. Our great God, we ask 
that you would help us to see you more rightly. That you would align our hearts with the truth of scripture. That we would not be swayed by what we see, by what the world proclaims. Father, that you would help us to walk in patience and in faith. That our eyes would be fixed on the God of our salvation. And Father, as we look out, as we see the nations, that we would not be caused to fear, but we would cause to be wondered and amazed, knowing that you are working. Father, help us to see you rightly as we grow in faith, as we grow in worship, and as you are glorified. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.